This is a sorry tale. I must admit, when Ewan gave me this passage, I felt like really praying for him, because it says, bless those who persecute you. <laughs> what, a, what a sorry tale. It's like an episode out of a bad soap opera, isn't it? In fact, you may ask, why is this in the Bible? Why doesn't the author dress it up a little bit? Why didn't he sort of smooth things over and camouflage it a little bit? But no, he lays it bare in all its gory detail. Rape, abuse, murder, family discord, all out there. Have a look at it. And I think that's because sometimes our lives can feel like a soap opera. I'm glad the story's here. Now, don't get me wrong, I wouldn't want to read the story every day or even every week. But I'm glad it's here because there are dear folk, Christian, godly men and women who have been through this sort of situation. They've been violated. They've been abused. They've been raped. They've got members of their family who've been through things like this. And the story says to them, you are not alone. What kind of Bible would it be if it didn't actually address the real hurts and pains and darknesses that we face in the real world? But it does. The Bible is true and deals with our real lives. Now, there are five characters in this. Let's, let's briefly have a look at them. We'll come back to them again. But first of all, we've got Amnon, David's firstborn. Well, he, he was his firstborn. He's actually born second, but the first one died. Okay, so he, he's his firstborn. He's the heir to the throne. Tamar is his half-sister. And we're told in verse 1, interesting phrase, that he loved her. We'll come back to that. In fact, verse 2 gives us a bit of a clue to what he meant by love because it says he found it impossible to do to her what he wanted to do to her. He pretends to be ill so that his father comes to visit him. He persuades his father to send Tamar to cook for him and to care for him during his pretend illness. And then he rapes her. So whatever love means in verse 1, if we look at verse 15, we find it says that he hated her. So it wasn't love at all, was it? It was just plain lust. And they're not the same thing. We need to get that clear in our heads. Sometimes people get confused. Let's move on to the next character. We've got Tamar herself. She comes across as a really lovely person. Beautiful daughter of David, sister of Absalom, half-sister of Amnon. We told that she was a virgin, she was a virtuous woman, she was a woman of integrity, she was a really decent person. Good person, beautiful inside and out. And then if you read the story in verse 12, unless your heart is made of stone, it, it can't help but break as you hear her say, no, 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 my brother, don't, don't do this to me. Please, you're my brother. Don't do this. I've known women and men who've been through abuse in the family, 
And you know it takes a long, long, long time for the pain to go away. The after effect of this incident will be with Tamar for the rest of her life that came out in the reading. She said to him in verse 13, what about me? Where could I go in my disgrace? Now as we read that through 20th century, 21st century, I'm living in the past, I'm old, forgive me, but some of you didn't even notice I was in the wrong century because she's just as old, if not older. Um, to our modern eyes, why should she be in disgrace? She was the victim. She didn't institute this, she didn't want this, she did everything she could to stop it, and now she says, I don't know how to get rid of my disgrace. Well, to really understand that, we need to understand their culture. And from now on, even though she was innocent, society would consider her a woman of shame. So she says to Amnon, please speak to the king. He won't keep me from being married to you. You first look at this and think, why the heck would this girl want to marry her stepbrother who has just raped her? Bizarre. But again, we need to understand the culture. And in Deuteronomy 22, verses 28 and 29, we get a clue to it. It says, if a man happens to meet a virgin who is not pledged to be married, and he rapes her and they are discovered, he shall pay her father 50 shekels of silver. And he must marry the young woman, for he has violated her, and he can never divorce her as long as he lives. Again, that may sound like a very strange sort of punishment. Not the punishment our courts would deal out today. But before that was written, if we look back further, it says that if the woman who had been raped was a married woman, the rapist would be put to death. So if you rape a married woman, they kill you. But if you rape an unmarried woman, you've got to pay 50 shekels and marry her. Why? Well, the reason is because in their culture, an unmarried woman who was not a virgin had no hope of really surviving. She was not able to function in society. She would be an outcast for the rest of her life. Nobody would want her. She'd be discarded. She would suffer for the rest of her life because of what that brute had done. And that's why the verse in Deuteronomy says that he can... Not just marry her, but he can never divorce her for the whole of his life. This way, she would be protected. And she'd have to be protected by the one who caused her problem. A married woman didn't need that protection. She had her husband. So, put the rapist to death. But in this situation, it was different. And Tamar's aware of this and she says, What's going to happen about my disgrace? Ask Dad to let us get married. Do something. Get me out of this mess you're getting me into. We move on. We've got Jonadab. David's brother's son, David's nephew, cousin of Amar, Absalom and Tamar. 
shrewd man. In fact, the Amplified Version says he was a cunning man. But it was not a gift that he used for good. In one of the commentaries on this by a man called Ralph Davis, we read this. Jonadab is the most dangerous man of all. Amnon will always be tending to his lust, but Jonadab is ambitious. He's got political savvy. He's got skill without scruples. He has wisdom but no ethics. He has insight but no integrity. And he concludes his comments on the man by saying he is the slithering serpent of the story. We'll come back to each of these. Then we have Absalom. Also David's son by a different wife. (coughs) A man who actually genuinely, genuinely loved his sister with a brotherly love. He really cared for her. When he had a daughter himself, his first daughter, he named her Tamar. He tried to protect her. And in verse 22 we read that Absalom spoke to his brother Amnon, neither good nor bad, because he hated him because of what he'd done to his sister. We don't know, but presumably before this, they they got on okay. But from this point on, he said, I want nothing to do with you. Nothing to say to you. And you know, his hatred was understandable. Dare I say it, his hatred was justified. But no matter how understandable or justified hatred is, it always destroys the hater. If you've got hatred bottled up inside you, it eats away at you and destroys you as well as the one that you hate. We read that he was preparing a celebration of the sheep shearing and he goes to David and he says, look, I want the whole family to go and join me. And please will the king and his children and servants come and King David says, no, no, we won't. Makes an excuse. So Absalom urges David and the family to come, but David still says, no. Then Absalom says, well, if you won't come, will you at least send Amnon, my brother? Strange request, one may think. Surely David saw through this. Well, David did. David said to him, why would you want him to go? Basically, David's saying, I know how much you hate this man. I know the history. I know what's going on here. Why why do you want him? Now, interestingly, the Bible doesn't give us any answer from Absalom. It just says that Absalom urged him, so King David gave in to his request and sent his brother. And in an act of premeditated murder, Amnon is killed. As we said, it's rage, it's understandable, but it's still murder. Finally, we've got David, the mighty king, the one chosen by God, the one anointed by God, the one loved by God, but in common with many men in the Old Testament, his family was a mess. Sadly, sadly, many godly men in the Old Testament raised Horrible children. 
Amnon rapes his half-sister. Absalom grows up to be a wicked man, a murderer and a fugitive. Adonai, who doesn't come into this particular chapter, but is also a son, tried to make himself king and was killed. And even towards the end of his life, King Solomon was led away to foreign gods through his love of foreign women. David's children did not turn out the way you would expect the children of a great man of God to turn out. They ended up a mess. You think you may have a dysfunctional family. Try living in a family like that. So again, I ask myself, why? Why? And I think we can imply the answer from stories like this. It says that David didn't seem to provide the right kind of spiritual leadership that his children needed. When David heard what Amnon had done, he was livid. It says, when he heard this, he was furious. And if you read that word in the original, it kind of gives the picture of steam coming out of his ears. He is really, really cross. So what does he do? He did nothing. Nothing at all. There's no hint that he even comforted Tamar and certainly no hint that he confronted Amnon and no suggestion that he sat down with Absalom and said, let's see what we can do to try and make this thing better. He did nothing. And later on when Absalom came and tried to take his throne from him, what did David do? He said, okay. He did nothing. He didn't do a thing. He exerted no discipline on his family whatsoever. No spiritual leadership in his family. He just got annoyed and stood back. I think that David changed after the Bathsheba incident. Up until then, he was a man of great strength and integrity and honesty and courage. But, you know, it seemed as if he almost gave up. It seemed as if he almost looked at himself and said, look what I've done. I'm just not worthy to be in a position to tell anybody else how to live their life. I have messed up right royally. Who am I to tell my children that they're wrong? I've basically raped a woman. I basically murdered her husband. Who, who am I to point a finger at anybody else? And you know, there's a, a principle we need to understand. Matt touched on it briefly last week, but I'm going to sort of expand on it slightly. The consequences of sin live long after the act. God can instantly forgive and he did forgive David. And he did restore a relationship with him. And he did give him another son to replace the one who died. And all that is wonderful. But the consequences of the sin lived on. And the devil will remind you of how you failed. And the devil will remind you of your sin. And the devil will use that to hold you back from being all that God wants you to be. 
God said, their sins and lawless acts will I remember no more. Nathan, when he was speaking to David and confronted him about his sin, said, God has forgiven you. You are forgiven. But the devil is called the accuser of the brethren. And he just loves to find that thing that you feel guilty about and he keeps rubbing that wound. He keeps stirring it up. He keeps bringing it back to your memory. And he says, God can't use you. You're useless. You're a failure. You've got no right to tell anybody else what to do. You can't be a leader. You can't be a proper parent. You are no use at all. Yes, David still incorporates God into his life, but you don't read any more stories like his courageous encounter with Goliath or his loyalty and not killing Saul when he had his chance or his humility when taking the throne. He just kind of plods on after this. God forgave him, but he couldn't forgive himself. He's paralysed, he's incapacitated by his own track record and his very kingdom is now on the edge of civil war and his family is about to disintegrate and he does nothing nothing at all classical example of lack of discipline in a family David lets Amnon get away with his sin and probably I'm guessing not for the first time I guess his children were never really disciplined And we see cases like that today where parents let their children do exactly what they please, how they please, when they please and they never discipline them. I want my children to love me. Yes, of course I want my children to love me. But you know, God didn't call you to be their buddy. He called you to be their mother or their father. And in the long run, they'll love you more for that. Kids without discipline today grow up to bring all sorts of heartache to their own families and to many other people as well. God expects parents, and this included David, to discipline their children and to teach them right from wrong. Let me ask you a question. You may have to think about it for a moment, but do you see discipline as a pain to be avoided Or do you see discipline as a means to avoid pain? To discipline Amnon would have been painful and he avoided it. But not to discipline Amnon caused even greater pain later on. You probably can't read that, but it doesn't matter. I can Hebrews says to us, and have you completely forgotten this word of encouragement? Every time I read that passage, I sort of pause at that phrase. This word of encouragement. Here we are, I'm going to encourage you. Here we are, this will lift you up. My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline. (laughs) Encouragement? Do not lose heart when he rebukes you. Because the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises the one he accepts as a son. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as his children. For what children are not disciplined by their father? If you're not disciplined, 
and everyone undergoes discipline, then you're not a true son or daughter. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and of peace for those who have been trained in it. David failed to discipline his children and his children ended up a total mess. His family was a disaster. Sin often starts with some kind of forbidden fruit, something small. Adam and Eve, it was the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, just have a bite. David and his friends, it was the temptation of the king's food. For David, it was Bathsheba. For Amnon, it was Tamar. Sin starts with something small and private, but it grows quickly and becomes more public and impacts on more people's lives. And I guess this text, if nothing else, teaches us that it's never worth the price. The price is always much higher. It encourages us to stay out of sin, but it also reminds us that when we see a brother or a sister falling into sin, we have a responsibility to say, can we have a chat? Can I pray with you? Or even if you don't have the freedom to go and speak to them, to pray for them. Not to let them just drift. This text teaches us about love. Not everything that is called love is love. Amnon thinks he's in love, but he's in lust. In his mind, sex is what he thought love was. But no way would his love pass the test to 1 Corinthians 13, which tells us what love really is. And this passage teaches us that when God says we are forgiven, we are forgiven. And mean to believe him and move on and not listen to the accusations that the devil will keep throwing at us. So if you look through this account, who do you identify with the most? I guess we all identify with at least one person in the story. I know I do. I'm not going to tell you which one. Just let you know it's not Tamar. Whoever it is that you identify with, you are at a crossroads. And here is the point at which you can choose turmoil or triumph. And the choice is yours. Amnon warns us about priorities. The devil has said to him, you're a rapist, you're beyond help, you deserve to die, you're useless, you're hopeless. God says to him, I know you've sinned. Confess your sins, come to me, receive forgiveness and I will restore you. The devil says to him, God wants to deprive you of pleasure and enjoyment. God says, seek first his kingdom and righteousness and all these will be given unto you. Who should Amnon believe? The devil's lies or the truth of God? Sadly, Amnon went the wrong way at that crossroad. Jonadab, the slithering serpent in the story, a manipulator. And I'm sure the devil reminds him about this and says to him, you're a manipulator. You're a twister. Nobody likes you. 
but you know how to make them do what you want to do. You know how to manipulate things to get what you want in the end. Put yourself first. I believe God would say to him, actually, you know, John and Ab, I love you. And you're precious. Won't you let me use your gifts as a blessing to my people? Won't you surrender your life to me? And yes, you are shrewd and cunning, but I can use that to bless if you let me. John and Dad took the wrong turning. John and Dad also reminds us, of course, that bad company is not a good idea. Careful where you get advice from. Amnon got his advice from Jonadab. Amnon must have known the type of person Jonadab was. 1 Corinthians says, Do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. Now please don't misunderstand. I'm not saying only associate with wonderful Christians. I, I, I know this may con, con, be controversial, but I believe if you do not have friends who are not Christians, something's wrong. Because how on earth are you going to reach out to the world if you never encounter the world? But when you're in a group, it's a case of do you influence them or do they influence you? We are supposed to be there as salt and light and as a purifying source. Absalom. The devil says to him, your righteousness, your anger is righteous. You deserve revenge. Look what the so-and-so has done. Sort it out. She's your sister. What does God say? God says, vengeance is mine, says the Lord. I'll sort it out. Leave it to me. Trust me. Matt demonstrated trust this morning with her cup of water. I kept hoping he'd get it wrong and pour the water over his own head, but he didn't. But Absalom, once again, faced a choice. Do I do what the devil says? Or do I do what God says? He wanted revenge. He got revenge. He did it on his own. And he ended up a murderer and a fugitive. David, the devil says to him, you're a failure, you're weak, you're no use to anybody. Look at what happened with Bathsheba. You've got no right to discipline your children. You've lost the right. God says to him, you are forgiven. Nathan told you that I've forgiven you. You are chosen by me. I anointed you. And I didn't make a mistake. Trust me, believe me. Put me first, continue to serve me, and I will continue to use and to bless you. David took the wrong turning at that point and he gave up. Tamar. I can hear the devil whispering in Tamar's ears saying, you are useless, you are soiled, you are rubbish, you are discarded, you are disgraced. And God doesn't love you because otherwise this would never have happened to you. You are rejected even by God. 
Meanwhile, I believe God is actually saying to her, no, 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 no. Actually, Tamar, you are loved and you are precious. I want to use you and I want to bless you and I want to make you a blessing. Who do you believe? Tamar. Will you stop listening to the lies of the devil in your heart? I don't know what you've been through. And you know something? I don't need to know what you've been through. It's nothing to do with me. But whatever you've been through or are going through, God loves you. God wants to forgive you. God wants to restore you. And God wants to bless you and make you a blessing and don't let the devil steal that from you. Don't let him destroy your family. Don't let him destroy your ministry. Don't let him destroy your life. God loves you. Choose who you will trust. God says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. Let's pray. Father, I'm so conscious that in a chapter like this there are going to be people sitting here today who feel as if a scab has been pulled off an old wound. And Lord, I pray as we prayed before the service that instead of it bleeding and hurting and causing infection that you'll pour your healing balm, the balm of your love, and your forgiveness. The balm of just knowing that you know, you care, and you still love them, Lord. Father, I pray that you'll restore people, that you'll help us to see the lies the devil has been telling us, even, Lord, that you'll help me, because I know that there are times when I wake up at night and I think, oh, how can God use me because of... Help us to stand against it, Lord, and to trust in you. I choose to believe you, Lord. Help us to do that. In Jesus' name.